This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. New South Wales TAB punters, here is your chance to share in $1.3 million in prize money when the Kosciuszko is run at Royal Randwick on October the 17th. You could share in the ownership of one of the 14 runners in the world's richest race for country trained horses. You're in the running if you purchase a $5 ticket via the Tab app or at your local TAB outlet or enter as many times as you like by purchasing multiple tickets. Ticket sales close on September the 7th and 14 winners will be drawn on September the 9th. If your name or the name of your syndicate is drawn, you'll then have the opportunity to select a horse to race in your entry. Then your negotiating skills will be put to the test as you endeavour to reach agreement with the owners regarding a prize money split. Bell Flyer won it in 2018, Handle the Truth won it last year. You could share in the ownership of the 2020 Kosciuszko winner when the big race is run at Randwick on October the 17th. Tickets are available right now via your Tab app or at your local TAB outlet. I'm both delighted and privileged to bring you an interview with a man who can be rightfully described as a member of racing royalty at home and overseas. Ron Hutchinson is an eminently successful former jockey who rode at the highest level for close to 40 years in Australia, Europe, Asia and on the odd occasion in the United States. His riding artistry and his level of professionalism remain constant for all of that time. Hutchie, as he's best known, rode 3,000 winners, hundreds of them in stakes races. Calculating his wins at Group 1 level would be a very big job, given that Group 1 rankings were unheard of when this man rode his first major winner in 1945. Ron always intended to quit the saddle at age 50 and actually announced his retirement after riding the New Zealander Balmerino into fourth place in the famous Washington International of 1977. He surprised family and friends when he allowed himself to be talked into riding for another three seasons as a club jockey in Singapore, Malaysia. To put the finishing touches on his swan song, he politely won another jockey's premiership, and then he officially retired. He's lived in Melbourne ever since. He's still enjoying good health, and he's still driving his car. What's so special about that, you may ask? On the 14th of December this year, Ron Hutchinson will turn 93. And I know you'll agree, he doesn't sound anything like it. Hutchie, it's a great pleasure to catch up with you after such a long time. Oh, thank you, John. Listening to your uh, comments there, you, you flatter me a bit, you know. You know, uh, you're making me feel a little, little bit uh, uh, uncomfortable because uh, <laughs> it's too flattering. <laughs> but well, thank you very, very much, John. They were lovely, kind words and lovely to hear what uh, you said about me and uh, I'm very proud of it too. Thank you. Ron, under current circumstances, that car of yours would be spending most of its time in the garage. Well, Johnny, you're quite right at the moment because we're all isolated from the coronavirus, but uh, oh, I still get out and about and uh, fortunately uh, 
you know, I'm still, still able to drive and go to the races. So uh, I'm only hoping that uh, when the everything is lifted, I'll be back to, uh, back in business mm. once again. So what is your racing involvement these days? Obviously, you watch most of it on television, but you do go to the odd meeting. Oh yes, I'm I'm there and I'm there nearly every week. And uh, mm. fortunately, um, you know, I live with my daughter now because my wife passed away. But uh, I live with my daughter and uh, Nick, her husband. He is a committee man on on the uh, Melbourne Racing Club. And fortunately, Peter Legrand uh, has given permission for me to uh, go along with Nick and on a Saturday and and enjoy a committee luncheon in when available. So. Mm. Uh, all in all, I'm you know I'm pretty uh, involved uh, going to the races and uh, and as a as a rule I haven't got a moment to spare. I enjoy it very much, meeting people and catching up with old friends. It's very nice. You're and very- of course they made me a, a life member as well at the Melbourne Racing Club and also I'm a life member at the VRC Club. So uh, I I'm I'm very privileged and very honoured to uh, to have that uh, those honours. You know. You're a very proud father of four, Ron, two boys, two girls. Your younger right, son, Peter, John. Peter rode hundreds of winners, including Frar in a Caulfield Cup, but a series yeah. of injuries forced him out of the saddle some time ago. What's Peter up to? Well, yeah, well, Pete's, um, he's uh, got a, has a partner, uh, Sarah, and uh, he has two children. Uh, he works uh, as a little job with... Uh, Sean Crossgrove, one of your commentators, mm. uh, they work for um, uh, John Fowler, who has uh, Lepine Funerals, and Peter and Sean uh, fill in and do the uh, funerals uh, for the uh, the people that um, you know the uh, that have passed away. Mm. So uh, he's quite busy in that respect, but he also he has a, a little job mentoring and uh, the. Uh, the uh, amateur riders at the uh, picnic meetings. So uh, he's quite busy in that respect. So uh, he's quite happy at the moment. And he's and, very uh, fortunate, Ron, to be under the tutelage of Sean Cosgrove, who will lead him up the right path, I'll guarantee it. Yes, absolutely. Oh, Sean's a, Sean's a, a wonderful man and he's, uh, he's great fun to be with, as you know, and he's, he's a great... Uh, uh, commentator and 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 a, and a joy to be with. I enjoy his company very very much. Peter was number two jockey for the powerful David Hayes stable in the nineteen nineties, and he he rode some very good horses. We mentioned already he won a Caulfield Cup on Fra, uh, and he, he rode several Group One winners. <laughs> yeah, he did. John uh, Era. He, uh, well, I think he won. Uh, well, no, I think he might have won a Blue Diamond. I think he won a, a, a Cup, Cup, Adelaide Cup. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He was. He actually was quite, um, you know, successful for Colin, and they uh, they had a good uh, good team going. Uh, I think uh, he, he finished up one year. He was leading rider in Adelaide. So uh, yeah, over the years he was quite successful. Yeah, very nice. Now your yeah. elder son Ray rode as an amateur in England. He trained with yes. a degree of success, and somehow yes, Ronnie he, found the time to become a fully qualified vet. He's had a very busy life, your son Ray. Oh, oh very, very, very much so. Yes, he, I must say, John, if uh, he had the uh, the uh, uh, if he had been light enough, he would have been uh, quite a uh, uh, good jockey uh, as a you know as a professional. But 
he uh, he rode uh, rode as an amateur uh, in England for many years, or four or five years, and then most of the time he was a top rider mm. over there as a as a as an amateur and was very very sex, uh, successful. Although they mm. didn't pay money for uh, their uh, efforts, but uh, he, they were given uh, you know the presents at the end of the year like motor cars or uh, that's in you know, and Raymond won two motor cars, so mm. he was. Uh, he was very, very successful indeed in Europe. He rode all over Europe. So, uh, and was, as I say, he was very, very sexful, successful. But he put a lot of effort into it. He was like a, a professional at it, John. And mm. uh, good luck to him. He, uh, it, it all came off for him. You have two daughters, <coughs> Susan and Sally. Sally still lives in England. How That's many grandchildren right, yes. have your four kids produced uh, between them? Yeah, Sally. Uh, Sally has three. Uh, Three, uh, t- uh, two boys and a girl. Mm-hmm. Susan, two girls, and Peter, uh, a boy and a girl. So, um, well, I got seven, seven yeah. kitties. Yeah, yeah. So it's good, good. They're all good. I love to see them every whenever they come along. And uh, fortunately, you know, they're getting up into their twenties now, and uh, they've got their uh, other things to do in life. So mm-hmm. um, I'm only hoping that they choose a a good profession to be in. Mm. Uh, fortunately, uh, you know, Susan's married to uh, a guy that's a racing man and he loves his racing and he's, uh, he, he puts 100, 110% into his efforts, you know. Mm. So he's, uh, I'm lucky, lucky to be living in their environment. You know, it's very good. Ron, mm. your life was turned upside down about seven years ago when you lost Norma, who'd been your wife, and I just did a quick calculation on this, am I correct? 60 years yeah. married? That's right. Yeah, that's right, John. Yes, we were. Yes, we. Uh, I met my Norma, <coughs> part of me, when she was uh, 19 years old. I was 21 years of age, and we uh, were married. Uh, I was 25 years of age, and she was 23, mm. and we had a very, very happy life for 65 years together. So I'm very, very proud, and I miss her very much too. Of course you It's uh, when you... Uh, when you have been together with her, someone, she was uh, my right arm, as you say. You know, she mm. did everything. She uh, she given me uh, no worry whatsoever. And if I was under a bit of uh, stress or pressure at at times, she would uh, she would cover it all over and mm. be as calm, cool as collected. She was a wonderful person. Ron, <laughs> you were born on the fourteenth of December, nineteen twenty-seven. You grew up in the suburb of Yarraville in Melbourne. Your dad was a plumber and he obviously wanted you to follow in his <coughs> footsteps because both he and mum opposed your notion that you'd like to be a jockey. That's right. Yeah, that's right. They did too. Yeah, uh, well, uh, I, I, uh, I, I tried to – as long as back as far as I can remember, John, I'd always wanted to be a jockey. I don't know whether it was – because of Harold Badger and Ajax or not, but uh, mm. they were the champions of the time, and and I was a great uh, follower of, uh, of of the races in the newspapers in those days. And I was only a child, but I, I used to love the pictures and all that sort of thing, and cut them out, cut the horses out of the newspapers. And uh, when uh, I, as I got on to uh, leaving school, my um, school teacher, one of my school teachers, was a very keen race goer. Mm. And uh, he uh, he and I told him I wanted to be a jockey. And uh, anyway, he 
had a friend uh, who was uh, my master, uh, Claude Goodfellow, mm. and uh, he introduced to me uh, to uh, to uh, introduce me to Mr. Goodfellow, and of course uh, I was given a sort of a three months probation um, uh, to, to before you know I could committing myself to be an apprentice. However, you know, my mum and dad, they, they weren't very happy about that, but, uh, and I, I threatened that I was going to leave, uh, leave <laughs> home and nick off if I didn't go to work in the stable. Mm. So fortunately, fortunately, they, uh, they let me go and have a trial. And, I, and of mm. course, the moment I got in there, I loved it straight away. I was, I was mm. into the environment that I loved. Mm. Yeah. Ron, just to establish a perspective about the era in which you began your career, you started your apprenticeship five months after the bombing of Pearl Harbour and yes. two yes. months after the fall of Singapore and yes. stable life was pretty tough in those days. You've already said oh. that Mr Goodfellow was very good to you but he was pretty tough in his application of the rules. Now, tell me that little story. One morning he asked you to bring a bag of gear to the track and you, oh, for, yeah. and you and you forgot, but you never forgot again. That's right, John. Yeah, gosh, he was. Yes, and those they were very strict. <coughs> we were. We had to, uh, you know, ride ride the horses to the track. Of course, every in the morning at four o'clock in the morning. And however, that particular morning, I uh, had forgotten to bring a, a my head collar to tie the horse up uh, in his stall. Mm. And of course. Uh, Mr. Goodfellow said to me, he asked me that uh, I'd forgotten. I told, told him I'd forgotten. Well, he said, you better go and uh, walk uh, walk back and uh, and go back and get him, which was about two mile away or three mile away, whatever <laughs> it was. And uh, so yeah. uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I set off to go and get my head collar. And on my way up the uh, the hill, uh, the gardener said, oh, the Flemish, you know, where, where are you going? And I said, oh, I'm going to, I forgot my head collar. He said, do you want to buy, lend, borrow my bike and ride me? So anyway, well, I borrowed the bike, got the head collar, came back, and Mr. Goodfellow said to me, guy, you see, you're very, very quick. Yes, I borrowed the bike. He said, well, <laughs> when you get home, <laughs> he said, when you get home, he said, you ring up, you ring up all the, the trainers that you're riding for on Saturday yeah. and tell them that you won't be riding their horses on us on the Saturday, You're and kidding. John, that's what I that's what I have to do where I am. I mean, but that may, as you say, that I never met, I never forgot of a head collar ever again. But uh, I was vying at that time. I was vying for you know be leading the leading apprentice, and uh, you know every winner counted. So, mm -hmm. but he was very, he was you know he was a good man, but he was a very very strict man, of course. Yeah, but there again, I never I never forgot a head collar, John. I'll tell you. Ron, I can't uh, believe I'm talking to a man who received tuition from the legendary Bobby Lewis, one of the greatest jockeys in Australian racing history. He still shares the Melbourne Cup riding record with Harry White. Uh, they've won four apiece. Now, when your master was called up for essential services in the war effort, you had nine months at Bobby Lewis's Glenroy property. How do you remember oh, the, the, gee, the iconic, remember the iconic yeah. Bobby Lewis? Yeah, John, I, I remember it very, very well. Uh, Glenroy had to, and the property was on the uh, railway line that uh, that would from Broadmeadows into the city, you know, in those days, and and every uh, <coughs> every most trains were uh, were uh, you know sort of uh, packed with the. Uh, 
soldiers going in to go into war or going off somewhere, you know, mm -hmm. and Bobby Lewis's place was right alongside of that, uh, that uh, <clears throat> railway line. And uh, anyway, I was there with Bobby uh, or Mr. Lewis. He was a he was a great little man, and he uh, and I'd never. And I was being, coming from the city, John. I wasn't a sort of a, a horsey person or anything. I couldn't, mm. you know, you know play around with a little pony or something like that. But I never was a, a horsey person. And until I got with uh, Mr. Lewis, and then he put me on and taught me how to how to ride. And in one particular, yeah, he had uh, what they call a round yard, John, as you know, those mm. round yards, and he. Uh, he had these these this any particular horse, and he tie the uh, the front leg up on one of the horses, and of course the horse would hop around on three legs. Mm. So we put, and that's how we put me out on to learn my balance. He'd throw me on, mm. and then hunt the horse around. And of course, you know I couldn't hurt myself, and I, and being in a sand yard, if I fell off, I wasn't going to get hurt. So mm. he used to hunt me around uh, on this on these uh, on these. This horse was uh, with its leg tied up, so I got my learn soon learned to you know get my balance, you know. Mm. So uh, it was uh, it was very interesting, and I, as I say, I was there for all oh, with him in right up until I started being uh, you know riding races, you know. Mm -hmm. So he was very good. Well, Ron, he was a very good man. I have never before had the pleasure to interview somebody who was coached by Bobby Lewis. Just no, uh, remarkable. Were you aware of his fame at that time, Ron? You were very oh, young. Oh, yes, I was very much so, yes. Yeah. And, and, of course, uh, you know, and I can remember him saying you know, he was very attached to a horse called Trival that mm. won the – I think he was a three-year-old and he won the uh, the won the Melbourne Cup as a three-year-old. And, and that, that particular horse stood out in his mind. I can remember him telling me about what a good horse he was at that particular time. Mm. Yeah. Ron, uh, was he quietly but, spoken? I get the impression very, he was very modest, humble, yeah, quietly spoken little fellow. You, you're so right, uh, John, he was. He was a very humble, modest little man and uh, his word, uh, we, uh, when, it, when he told you something, it sunk in, you know. He was a, mm. a man of few words, but when he said something, it was like talking in volumes. Mm. He was uh, a joy to be with and, and I'm so grateful that I was associated with him in those early days. Bobby Lewis died in 1947, but he is still talked about, particularly at Melbourne Cup time, and a yeah. Group 2 race is named in his honour every September at Flemington. Yeah. Gives you goosebumps. That's right. That's right, John. I think he was only around about 64 when he died, if I remember rightly. Yep. Yeah. He was very good. But, um, no, he was, he was uh, you know, and he was uh, such a kind man too, uh, mm. Johnny, yeah, uh, everything about him was, uh, uh, he was a real thorough little gentleman. Yeah, mm. fantastic. Uh, Ron, I've read in several different publications too that he had a great awareness of the safety of his fellow jockeys. You would never see Bobby Lewis shortening somebody up or knocking somebody down. He was mindful yeah. of the safety of every other jockey around him and he was suspended only once or twice in his whole career. Yeah, I didn't realise that, John, but I, mm. I can imagine that, yes. I can really, I can imagine that. And uh, uh, as I say, he was such a nice uh, a nice man and I learned a very, he taught me a lot in my, in my, in my younger days. It was, it was a pleasure to be with him. 
Mentone Racecourse was a very popular track in the 1940s and that's where Ron Hutchinson rode his first winner. You were only 17, it was your 12th race ride and you won on a mare with a cute name, Busybody. And that's I think right. the trainer was Vic Watson. That's right, yeah, John, yes, yeah. Yes, I was, I was, uh, that she started me on my, um, on my career, a uh, busy body. And if mm. I remember right, I think her colours were at that particular, were, were carbines colours, you know, the, the black jacket, white sleeves and cap, if I remember right. But Carbine, you, you wrong, as a race correct. caller might be wrong. And later carried yeah. by another great horse in more recent history, Superimpose. That's right, yes, there, yeah, there, you're mm. right, there, yes, yeah. So, yeah, so uh, she, uh, Busybody, uh, uh, won for me, and then uh, I think a few weeks later she won again, and mm. so that got me on my uh, on my way to uh, riding winners. Mm. Yeah. Now, Ron, just a quick little bit of history for our listeners. Mentone conducted race meetings from 1888 to 1948 when racing ceased, but it continued as a training centre right through until 1972, and it was the home of great horses and great horsemen. Now, you were just 18 yeah. when the first yeah. of your amazing number of cup wins came along. How well do you remember a grey mare called Spectre in the 1945 Australian Cup when that race was run over 17 and a half furlongs? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember it was so. Uh, I remember who was, was yesterday. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, John, those sort of big uh, days don't don't go out of your mind. You, uh, mm. it's uh, uh, it's wonderful to ride a, a, a big race winner like the uh, the Australian Cup. It's just a, a dream comes true, and uh, I can remember Spectre very well. C. T. Godby was a trainer, and. Uh, he, uh, 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 a man called Eric McCormick and uh, Gordon Gobby were the owners. Mm. And if I remember rightly, uh, uh, Eric McCormick was working for uh, W.S. Cox as a uh, mm. as a uh, auctioneer. Mm. And from that day, after I went, I was became their, you know, I was friends for them until they passed away. So, so all those years, uh, and uh, we were still very, very good friends. And I was only a young boy, mm. and even. Uh, even today, uh, uh, they, Eric had uh, two boys, and uh, they uh, they've got a winery up in Dalesford, uh, mm. and I'm you know still still keep in touch. Yeah, mm. it's lovely. Rob, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast, and we'll be right back. English sales graduates dominated the Group One scene right through the 2019-2020 season. They got away to a flying start when Samadout won the Wink Stakes, the first Group 1 of the season. Vow and Declare won the Melbourne Cup, Exceedance won the Coolmore Stud Stakes, Super Seth won the Caulfield Guineas, Natoya the Doncaster, Quick Thinker the Australian Derby and Nature Strip the TJ Smith, just to name a few. In total, Australia's leading thoroughbred auctioneers provided 22 individual Group 1 winners. They had the biggest number of stakes winners who won the biggest number of races. Inglis sold the highest number of three-year-old Group 1 winning Colts and the highest number of stakes winning fillies and mares. Won't be long now and the Group 1 round starts all over again with the Wink Stakes at Randwick on August the 22nd. You can bet 
the English graduates will be right in the thick of the action again in the new racing season. Well, that wasn't your last Australian Cup. You won it another three times all over that long trip of just under two miles. You won on yes. Bold John in 1950, Arbroath in 1953 and Pushover in 1956 and you won an Adelaide Cup on Pushover in the same year. That's right, yes, John, yeah, that's right, that's right. And you mentioned uh, Arbroath, John, you know, I can, you know he, was, he was only a three-year-old and if I remember right, I won the uh, VRC St Ledger on the Saturday mm. and he won the, the one which he won and then he won the, uh, the Australian Cup on the Tuesday or, yeah, Tuesday or Monday or Tuesday and then on the Saturday in the carbine stakes over two miles, he won that as well. So he raced three times in the week, and he he won he won each one as a three-year-old, mm. which is never heard of. You don't hear of those sort of things happening today. But no. what a good stayer. He was owned by Sir Chester Manifold, mm. and uh, and one of one of his one of his breeds, you know. And he was very pleased about it, of course. Mm. But it was a, a great performance, in my opinion, for a three-year-old to do that. Now, yeah. Ron, this is probably the best time for me to mention that you were credited with 60 cup wins in total in Australia. You were called the Cups King long before Bart Cummings inherited the title. <laughs> now, Ron, I've, I've yeah. already mentioned a few. Let me just throw a few at you here. Three Mooney Valley Cups, a Doombin yes. Cup, a Brisbane yes. Cup, three Sandown yes. Cups, then known as the Williamstown you yeah. won two Hobart Cups. You won a Launceston Cup. You won a Queen's yeah. Cup in Launceston. You yeah. won four Bendigo Cups, two Kyneton Cups, two Werribee Cups. You won cup races at Warrnambool, Ballarat, Benalla, Mornington, Seymour, Wood End, Yarra Glen, Camberdown, Albury. Oh. You won the Port Adelaide Cup more than once, and I've probably missed another 10 or 15. Yeah. It's, Ron, it's mind-boggling. Oh. Oh yeah, well when you re when you read out uh, the record like that, it, 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 it's uh, and and that was uh, before I went to England. So yeah. I left. Uh, that was yeah, that was in a matter of about ten years, I think. So this was all before from, 1960. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, so uh, it was it's a good it was a good record, and I think it, I don't know whether I it's probably be beaten today. I. I did hear that uh, Frank Treen uh, from Western Australia, he wrote a, a lot of cup winners as well, So, mm. but I don't know how many. But, uh, yes, it was. A, it's lovely to think that at one time I was the Cups king. Mm. Now, yes. you're probably aware that you rode in a total of 16 Melbourne Cups between yeah. 1945 and 1961. Now, yeah. unfortunately, victory eluded you. But yes. it appears you could have ridden two cup winners. Now, one of them was in 1945 and you rode a mare called Rainbird into second place behind Scobie Breezley's Mount St. Ferry uh, in the Caulfield Cup and you could have ridden her in the Melbourne Cup. But true to your lifelong principles, Ron, you'd agreed to ride a 100-to-1 pop called Perenva and you stuck to your word. You beat four home, and Billy Cook yeah. won that cup on Rainbird. That's yeah, that's right, John. Yeah, so so true. Yes, yeah. so I was lucky enough. 
as I was doing well as an apprentice that year and uh, riding a few winners and Sam uh, uh, Evans, the trainer of Rainbird, contacted me to ride uh, uh, Rainbird in the uh, in the Crawford Cup. I think she only had about seven four in the in the in the Crawford Cup that year and uh, luckily enough I got on her and I had a great run in the race and looked like winning the cup, but uh, Sir Ferry came along on the inside and, of course, uh, I ran second. But uh, I could have, Mr Evans wanted me to, or asked me to ride her in the Melbourne Cup, but unfortunately for me, I'd taken the ride on uh, perimeter in those days. Your, your word was your bond and, of course, uh, regardless of uh, what uh, chances the other one had, I couldn't ride Rainbird, and then Billy Cook, uh, you know, at the last moment got a, a ride on the on her, and and of course won the Melbourne Cup. So mm. I was very disappointed, but uh, there again, you know, that's life, you know, isn't it? Mm. Now, Ron, yeah. let's fast forward to 1959, when yep. McDougal became the only horse to win the Brisbane Cup, the Metropolitan, and the Melbourne Cup in the same year. Now yeah. you'd won the Metropolitan and the Brisbane Cup on McDougal. But trainer Dick Roden told you the horse wasn't right when he arrived in Melbourne and he actually suggested you should look for a better ride. So you mm. told Bart Cummings uh, that you'd ride a horse called Trelios in the cup. Pat Glennon picked up the ride on McDougal, but you did ride McDougal in the Hotham on the Saturday, didn't you? You ran second to Grand Gary. So he'd obviously thrown off whatever was ailing him at the time. Yes, yeah, that's uh, that's true. That's true, and and that's a true story too. Uh, John, as I say, uh, Dick, uh, uh, I'd run the uh, Brisbane Cup and the Metropolitan, which was uh, which was great. But then uh, apparently, uh, Dick ragged me before the Melbourne Cup and said, "Well, he'd travelled down from Melbourne and uh, may not run in the Melbourne Cup because he'd taken a bit of bark off his uh, legs and hadn't travelled well, and uh, you know, I'd better look for another ride." It, which uh, eventually came along with uh, when Bart asked me to ride Trellius and mm. uh, on condition that if he won the uh, McKinnon Stakes, I'd ride him in the Melbourne Cup. Mm. However, he won the Melbourne, won the McKinnon Stakes, and uh, and I committed myself to um, to uh, Trellius. However, in the la- in the Hotham handicap later in the day, uh, uh, <coughs> I knew that I'd pulled the wrong rein when Did you? Uh, yeah with. Uh, McDougal had run a, tra- a fantastic race in the awesome handicap, and I thought, oh, geez, that- <coughs> this is a better ride, you know. Mm. But anyway, uh, of course, I, um, I I couldn't ride um, McDougal in the Melbourne Cup, but I um, was only down at one of your friends the other day at um, Johnny Russell, and he brought mm. out some old uh, magazines and what have you, and then we were looking through the magazines, and then I came across a story where Dick Roden had uh, made a special trip down to Melbourne mm. to uh, contact uh, Jack Pertell to ride the McDougal in the Melbourne Cup. Oh. So in actual fact, I wasn't, uh, you know, I'd only kidded myself that I was going to ride him in the Melbourne Cup, but mm. in actual fact, Dick was going to uh, put uh, or get Jack Pertell, but he couldn't ride it because he was riding a horse called Grand Gary in the mm. Cup, and so he couldn't ride it, and along came Pat Glennon, mm. who uh, got the ride on uh, McDougal and, of course, won the Melbourne Cup. Mm. So I missed out on that. Yep. Mm. Ron, you did ride three place getters in the Cup. You ran third on Pandy's Son in 1957, third yes. on Morse Code in 1950, 
and second on Grand Print in 1961. You were actually in England by then, but you That's flew right, home John. for the Cup meeting. George Moore had 19 rides in the Cup, never won one. Says no. it didn't worry him, Ron, but his wife told me once it did. Yeah, God, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was, a, you know, as a growing up as a young boy, uh, John, uh, to win the Melbourne Cup, what an honour it really is, you know. It's the yeah. biggest race in the Southern Hemisphere and uh, every jockey's dream to win a Melbourne Cup. So I was uh, I was uh, unfortunate not to win it. And if I remember rightly, old Scope Breezy, he was the same. He, he mm. never won a Melbourne Cup. No. And uh, what a jockey he was, you know. So mm. uh, I... Uh, I uh, if I'm with them, with George and, and Scobe, I don't mind anyway. <laughs> now, let's look at <laughs> Melbourne Premierships, talking about a big honour. You yeah. rode in an era of champion jockeys, and it took you yes. a long time to win your only Melbourne Premiership. Now, here's your yes. record, Ron, in the Premierships. From yes. 1950-51 season to 1957-58, you were second five times, Third on one occasion, fourth on one occasion. You finally cracked it in 58-59 when you finished six wins ahead of a brilliant young rider called Jeff Lane. Now, That's right. Ron, the thorns in your side right through that era were always Williamson and Pertell. Yeah. Weren't they hard to yeah. beat? Oh, gee, they were too. Yeah, they were both in that in those uh, days. Both, I think if, if uh, I remember the uh, the newspapers used to call uh, uh, Bill uh, and uh, Jack and myself the Big Three. Remember the uh, during the war, the the Big Three was uh, Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin. You know, that's mm. what. So we were called. We were <laughs> were mentioned in the radio in the newspapers as the Big Three. So all for those, those ten years, yes, it was very. Yeah, I was knocking on the door, but finally uh, I was uh, able to get uh, the leading rider when in what nineteen fifty nine. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and of you course did. that was the, the John. That was a year. That was a year I got at the Melbourne Cup time. I got a uh, a tele or in those days was telegrams were at the uh, the VRC and mm. uh, that that week and uh, for me to ring uh, Ireland, uh, Paddy Prinigas, the trainer in Ireland. And that's how mm. I came to be involved going to England, you know, that, that mm. particular year too. Yeah, I'll so, bring that uh, up shortly. Yeah. Ron, yeah. You, you rode a couple of cracking horses in Melbourne in Aquanita and Sailor's Guide. You won the George Adams Mile twice on Aquanita. What did you think of him? Oh, God, very, very good horse. Really good horse from uh, Western Australia. Mm. And uh, it was, I think, uh, the George Adam, it was called the George Adam Estate, was the first uh, uh, George Adam uh, mile race at uh, the Melbourne Cup Weeks. So, uh, mm. uh, 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 I think George Adam Stakes, I think it was called. Yeah. But anyway, he was a, he was a oh, champion or a really a good horse. And mm. I won uh, uh, the, the race uh, two years running and, Mm. And in between, I think uh, Roy Higgins and uh, rode him, and uh, I think he might have won um, Sydney. Oh, but it turned out to be a very, very good horse. Anyway, champion, yeah, yeah very good horse he was, John. Now the other mm. one I mentioned, Sailor's Guide. He was an iron horse. He raced fifty-eight times all up. He won eighteen of them, and his yeah. record would have been a lot better had it not been for a couple of little obstacles called Red Craze and Tullock. 
Now, <laughs> now Ron, you won yeah. a McKinnon and a Craig Lee on Sailor's Guide. What are your memories of yeah. him? He wasn't very big, was he? No, but he only used. Yeah, he was very. Uh, uh, well, a Dow Stater or a staying little horse he used to carry his head very low to the ground, you know, mm. when he was galloping. Was all, but he was a, a real, real tiger uh, as a as a horse. Uh, he had the will to win. He had that will to win, John, and mm. it was a pleasure to ride. And uh, and I enjoy, as I say, I enjoyed riding him. And uh, he uh, he was, but uh, as I say, he went over to um, America, and I think he. Although he got ran second, he did win the win the uh, Washington International. Got it on protest, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. Ron, I'll bring down the curtain on segment one of our very, very um, interesting and absorbing podcast interview. Uh, if you'll just stand by, Ron, we'll close okay. segment one at this point, and we'll commence segment two very, very shortly. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress.